And as we look tonight uh, at our message, uh, we're going to see that God is trustworthy. We can trust Him, amen? Now this, uh, I'll just share with you that this is a, the final lesson in our Vacation Bible School, okay? But it's not for kids. I mean, it's for kids, but it's for all of us. The lesson transcends all ages. And so we're going to look at some things tonight that are uh, in, the, uh, in a depth of range that I, I told my wife as I was reading and studying. It took me multiple times to read over some of this just so my little mind could, could grasp it all. And so I, I hope it's a, a, a time of strengthening and growth as well as a reminder of who God is. Because throughout this week in Vacation Bible School, we've been studying the attributes of God. And as we have seen God just do tremendous work and, and we see the different ways He manifests Himself to us we see that God is truly worthy of our praise. Starting Sunday night, we, uh, Brother Corey kicked off our first lesson, and he talked about Paul's missionary journeys. And as Paul went to uh, the, uh, the, church, the people of Athens, he taught them that though they worshipped the unknown God, they didn't know Him, but God was knowable. Aren't you thankful that God has revealed Himself to us? You know, there's obviously things that we can't fully comprehend about God because He is so mighty and so awesome that our finite minds can't comprehend everything there is to know about God. But He has revealed Himself to us and said, this is who I am. And so God's Word shares with us who He is. And so Paul taught them and said, you can know God, not just have a head knowledge, but a, a heart relationship with God. He taught them that there was one true God because they had idols everywhere, multiple idols of different gods that they worshipped. And listen, this, that's where America is today. Right. Uh, and I, I'm just going to touch on a little bit of the New Age movement tonight and, and some of pantheism and deism and some different things tonight. And you're, you're going to see that this is in every aspect of our culture today, from children's uh, television shows to Hollywood to uh, even in business models today. This is practiced in all around us. And as we look at this, I want to remind you that there is one God that we serve together tonight. And so as we see this, we see that He can't be fashioned by human hands. He can't, by, uh, uh, he can't uh, be just... Um, just part, uh, a tree or anything of that nature. He is who He is. According to Scripture, He is unchanging, and we're thankful for, uh, for that truth. And so Paul was able to share with the Athenians there uh, what Christ was, how He was crucified and resurrected. And then on Monday, we looked at Psalms 139. And in this Psalm of David, he teaches us of God's omniscience. He teaches of God's omnipotence and His omnipresence. Aren't you thankful that God is all-knowing? He knows the beginning from the end. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. He said uh, in Psalms 139, you can look there with me. He says, O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. Psalms 139 in verse 1, I'll, I'll wait for you to get there. We're going to read a little bit of this as in our introduction here. But he says, he says, O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thoughts afar off. Thou compasseth my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. Listen, we can't hide anything from God. And that's what he goes on. He says, For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, Thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. 
Whither shall I go from thy spirit? So God knows everything in those first six verses. And he says he's everywhere in verse number seven. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thine hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. And he goes on and he talks about all that God has done. And listen, as we think about God today, we see that God truly is worthy of our worship. He is almighty. And that's what we learned in, lesson, in Monday's lesson. And Tuesday, we explored Isaiah chapter 6. And many of you know of Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah's uh, vision of the heavenly throne room, and we see that God is ruler of all things. And, and if you look in Isaiah 6, you'll see in verse number 3 there in just a minute, that, that, uh, that God, the same God of the New Testament is the God of the Old Testament. God doesn't change. He's the same. And in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 3, we see that His whole, uh, glory fills the earth. That's going to be important for us here in a minute as we, we look at that, uh, at that a little bit further. This morning, our students, as they opened up their BBS package and they got to learn, they learned that God is Emmanuel. What does that mean, church? God is with us. Isn't that a special thought to think that God, the ruler of the universe, who's higher than, than we are, who is the creator, and that this God is the same God who says, I am Emmanuel. Jesus Christ came to this earth and He demonstrated uh, His love for us as He died on the cross and, uh, to, for, uh, to offer forgiveness for our sins. And He says, listen, I want a relationship with you because I am Emmanuel. Tonight we look at one final thing about God, and that's He's trustworthy. And truly, I want to remind you that God is trustworthy in every, every facet of our life. And no matter what we may face, I'm reminded that God is a God who we can trust. Every step of the way, every, uh, every, every step of the journey, we find that God is, is faithful to us. And it's in those times like these, I appreciate that song, brother, that we can come back to him and say, in times like these, God is truly faithful. And so as we bring this concluding lesson, I just want to just, uh, just encourage our hearts tonight. And we're going to uh, have a little bit of time of just understanding some theological concepts and then uh, understanding a little bit about uh, some of the, the things that I shared with you. And then we're going to talk in depth, more in depth about uh, the trustworthiness of God as we learn a little bit more about His character. And so as we get started, let's have a word of prayer tonight. Father, we want to thank You for Christ and thank You, Lord, uh, for who He is for what He has done, and Lord, for Your incredible power and might. Lord, that uh, as not just the Creator, but God, the Sustainer of life, we see, God, that You are truly worthy of our praise. You're worthy of our trust. And so as we look at who You are tonight as a church, I pray that You would strengthen us, that You would uh, strengthen our faith, strengthen our desire to be faithful, even in times like these. Thank You for Your mercy, in Jesus' name, amen. As we look at uh, this characteristic tonight of God, we see that God is imminent. Now, there are a couple of different words that are similar to this, so let's talk about this God is imminent first. There's a definition for you this evening. Uh, imminent is defined as existing or operating within. And so we talk about uh, the imminence of God. We mean that He's not only present in creation, but He's also close to and involved in our life today. 
But this, this word, if you say imminent, you know, I often talk about uh, imminent as in meaning it will happen soon. I'm looking forward to Christ's imminent return. Amen? Yeah. All right. So we, we know we're familiar with that. And then there's imminent. Okay, so there's imminent, imminent, and imminent. And when you're a Texan, they all sound the same. So I don't know how to pronounce them any different, but they're spelled different. So, And there's imminent, meaning it is superior or excellent. And so and to use these in a, in a statement here to kind of clarify some of the muddy waters, I want to just point this, show this on the screen. Christ's imminence or his superiority is displayed in his imminence, operation and creation. And we await his imminence, which is happening soon, return. Okay. So, let me under, let's understand a little bit of the context in this first off, which we're talking about his, the God is imminent, all right? We have to be careful to understand that this idea correctly in reference with the other things that we're talking about with God. First off, we learned that he is the one and only God. He's the awe-inspiring creator. There's, no, there's not a multiplicity of gods. We don't uh, have a polytheistic point of view when it comes to God. Poly meaning many and theist meaning gods. And so we're not, we don't worship many gods. We worship one God today. We also see that God is holy. And so we see He is perfectly righteous, He is pure, and He's set apart from creation. And so uh, that's going to eliminate some of the New Age ideas that we'll get into and share with you in just a minute, where uh, God is everything and everything is God. Okay, So that is not what the Bible teaches when, he, uh, when we're, we're dealing with this idea of imminence. Okay? The first one, not the other two. So when we think about these attributes, we think of God as also transcendent, meaning also that He is existing apart from. And so uh, God is not subject to the limitations that we are in this material universe. So He can be, therefore, everywhere at once. And so when I'm at home and I'm praying in my, in my uh, prayer closet and I'm, I'm there on my knees and I'm talking to God and you're at home in your own place and you're praying, He's there with both of us. Okay, so he is apart a and outside of the realms of natural creation. And so we also see he is distinctly separate and above creation and all, or, or beyond anything that we can know, understand, and experience. Romans chapter 11 and verse 33, Paul writes this, Oh, the depth of the riches and his ways and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. So let's clarify a couple of things. First off, we are not deists, not deism. Deists is, and let me just show this next one. This next slide here kind of will demonstrate that for you. First off, we see that the Judeo-Christian view is that God is transcendent and imminent. So God is above, but he's also interacting with us there. And then there's deism. God is transcendent, but not imminent. So God is above, but he's not, he's not interacting. So he created everything, and he stepped back and said, hey, you figure it out now. That's a deist point of view. And then there's secularism, where God is neither transcendent nor imminent. They don't know anything about God. Uh, and so as, as we look at these different worldviews here, we can kind of begin to understand where people come from in their belief system. But let me just say that we are not deists. Okay, Deists believe in a, in a transcendent creator God who is distinct from creation and remains entirely separate from it. In other words, he created everything and then stepped back and says, you take care of it. And so I remind you that the Bible teaches that God is creator. He is transcendent. But if he does not interact with creation, then listen, Jesus could not have come to die for our sins. This belief rejects the authority of Scripture 
which teaches that God interacts with us. What would be the point of praying? Acts chapter 2 and verse 22, as Peter is preaching here, he says, You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders of signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know. And so Peter's saying, listen, Jesus Christ is directly involved and from the Lord, and Jesus is God. And so we see that, that God is directly involved in our life. God did many wonders, many signs in the midst of the men of Israel then, and He still does today. And so throughout this week of VBS, we have seen that God is a holy God. He is a righteous God. He's just and He's almighty and He's ruler of all things. But we also see He's loving, He's compassionate, He's faithful, He's merciful. God not only interacts with creation, but He fills it. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 3, this is what we mentioned a while ago as we learned. He said, and one cried unto another, talking about the angels in heaven, that's the cherubim that surround the throne. He says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And then David in Psalms 139 mentions that there is nowhere he could hide from God. And we shared this a while ago. I'm going to read it again. Psalms 139 verses 7 through 10. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. You see, God desires a relationship with each of us. And so He entered creation, suffered, died, and rose again, that we might be reconciled to Him. God is transcendent, yes, but He's also imminent. He's involved in our relationship. Now, tonight I need your interaction and your help. So if you're falling asleep, this is a good time to wake up. Amen. All right. Hebrews chapter 2. Grab your Bibles. and We're going to read through this. And so if you've got a scratch paper or pen, you might get get that handy. And what I want you to do is as we read through Hebrews 2 in our study, I want you to look through and mark areas or maybe make a note of areas that illustrate God's involvement with creation. And it's throughout Hebrews 2. And so I want you to see it for yourself in your Bible. So if you're there, say amen. Amen. All right. Are you ready? All right, good. (laughs) I got three of you ready. So in Hebrews chapter 2, I'm just going to read it aloud. I want you to read along with me. And as we go down through there, you're looking for areas where God has revealed that He has been involved in His creation. Okay? So verse number 1 says, Therefore... We ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard Him? God also bearing them witness both with signs wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to His own will. For unto the angels hath He not put in in subjection the world to come whereof we speak. But one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor and did set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet, for that he put all in subjection under him. He left nothing that is not put under him, but now 
we see not yet all things put under Him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that He, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. For it became Him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both He that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause He is not ashamed to call them brethren." saying, I will declare thy name unto thy brethren. In the midst of the church, I will sing praise unto thee. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God giveth me. For as much then as the children are partakers of the flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that hath the power over death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted." Now, I hope that you caught several different areas as we read through that, how God chooses to be involved with us in our lives. So just, if you found something, hold up a hand, I'll call on you. Brother Jesse. That's right. Amen. Amen. Good. I saw another hand over here. I thought I did. Somebody else have one that you want to share? Still looking. We see throughout here where God declares His message to us. Uh, throughout here in verse number uh, 1, we see that here we give earnest heed because this is a message for us. And then we see that He performed miracles and signs in verse number 4. And then we see later He distributed gifts to, uh, of the Spirit to His children and same, same verse there. But we also see that God is mindful of men. Now think about this with me. The God, the creator of all things, says that He is mindful of us. That means we are on His mind more often than, we're on, than He's on ours. Because in 1 Peter 5, 7, God cares for us. Amen? What else do you see in this text? There's a real big one, real big glaring one right there. Toward the in the middle, toward the end of the chapter, you're going to say, "Yes, brother Jesse." Amen. See, God Himself came. God Himself chose to say, "I'm going to interject myself. I'm going to choose to be involved with my my creation." He stepped into the flesh. He suffered death. Listen, God didn't have to do that. But then, not only that, but He sanctifies people. Did you notice that multiple times in this text that He calls us brothers? That's the, that's the work of God in our lives tonight. And so he, he, we see that God has chosen to be intimately involved in our lives. And even in the last verse there, there's, there's so much more, but even in the last verse, for in that He Himself hath suffered being tempted, He is able to succor them that are tempted. Listen, He experienced temptation so that He could help us in our temptation. 
God is intimately involved with His creation. We are, we, are, we are not and do not hold a deism because deism says that God created and walked away. But instead we see throughout the scriptures that God chooses to be involved in our life. Man, I'm thankful that when I call unto Him, that Jeremiah 33, 3 reminds us that He will answer me. Man, I'm so thankful for God's faithfulness. And, and the conclusion here is that, that we can trust His Word and we can, we can be dependent upon Him for what happens next. You know, what happens in the, the next phase of everything that we're going through right now? What happens in, in five years or ten years? You know, we don't have to worry because He says that He's going to walk with us through those times just like He's walked with us in the past. God has spoken directly to us. First, so Second Peter chapter 1 and verse number 21, it says, For the prophecy, talking about the word of God, came not in old time by the, will, by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. God was involved, supernaturally intervened in the natural order so that we could be, uh, be able to know Him. Think about what He's done. He raised the dead. He commanded a fish to eat a man. Amen. He withheld rain for three and a half years. He controlled the storms. He caused fire that did not consume in a bush. He caused flour and oil not to be exhausted. And there's so many more things that God has done to reveal Himself to us. And, and listen, we can see that God is worthy to be trusted. We've studied His, uh, throughout the week we've studied, studied that God is sovereign. He is because his, of His omnipotence. Nothing is too hard for God. Jeremiah 32, 17 reminds us of this great truth. Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 17 with me in your Bible. Colossians 1, 15, it says, Who is the image of the invisible God? The firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. God created all things, and through Christ, all things were not only created, but He holds them together. So we cannot and do not hold the theism, but there's something else, another error we have to watch out for, and that's pantheism. Pantheism, And let me just say that we must fail to understand that God is a person distinct from the creation. Remember, that's that transcendent thing we were talking about a while ago. So pantheism is part of this New Age movement that I mentioned a while ago, and, and I don't have the time to really explain it all. But pantheism states basically everything that exists is God. Matter is an illusion. In other words, you're God and I'm God and these walls are God and the trees are God. And several years ago, I had an experience where I met someone who believed in, in this uh, as uh, in pantheism. And I was out here on the property mowing and she pulled up and she thought I was just a, a lawn caregiver person. And I was for the Lord. She says, I want you to come over and mow my house. And I said, ma'am, I, I can't do that. This equipment belongs to the church. I work for the church. This is theirs. I said, I'd have to get permission to be able to do that. Well, I haven't bought it yet. I'm going to buy this house right here around the corner. I want you to come and mow it every, every week, every week. I want you to come and mow it. And I said, well, well, that's great. And I began to witness to her, and I began to share Christ with her. And she says, oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus, and I believe in God. And she says, and I, I pray to these trees, and I pray to this. And, and, I, just, and I kept going on, and I had never encountered this quite any, anyone quite like her before. But this 
this idea of pantheism that everything is God. And so essentially they would agree with this statement, Jesus Christ is God because everyone and everything is God. And so pantheism then is part of the New Age movement that focuses on that idea that God and creation are one or that God is the soul of the world and the essence of animation. Now think about this. Have you heard the term Mother Earth? Where do you think its roots are? You know, and so we, we see here in the New Age movement, they have, have taken a little bit of everything to make nothing, essentially. They have taken from uh, uh, Hinduism and, and Christianity and uh, Islam and, and multiplicity of other uh, religions, and they have brought them all together, and they said that everything is equal and because everything is God and we can worship all of these things. What's good for you is good for you, and what's good for me is good for me. And this is an illustration I found. Uh, Ram Das is a psychologist and a New Ager. He's uh, anyways, and he said, each other home. Now, if you look at this picture, you'll see some tiki guys that I don't know all of, all of the different gods that are represented here, but you'll see some, some main ones here. Jesus Christ on the left, Buddha in the middle, uh, Krishna on the right, a little calf at the bottom, tiki man. And so we see these things, and he say, all of these gods, all of these person, persons, are arrived at their godship status and their home. They're all equal. You've seen the coexist bumper stickers. Where do you think it has its roots? Right here in this new age idea, which has it, which also is a springboard from pantheism. And so we've got to be on our toes and we've got to see, listen, as a church, we cannot buy into this because it's against God's word. The Bible teaches that God is uh, in all things, and that he is near, but he, uh, it fails to recognize that, uh, excuse me, this, this religion fails to recognize that God is distinct and separate from his creation. God is distinct. He's transcendent. He's imminent when he's involved, but he's transcendent, meaning far above. Isaiah 55 reminds us of this truth. His ways are higher than our ways. There's no way we could possibly know him. There's no way we could be God. Here's a question for people who are New Agers. If I was already God, how come I didn't know it? Because really, when you come to a person who's involved in New Age philosophy, they don't need Jesus because they're already a God. They just need enlightenment. They just need to be, they just need, oh, an aha moment. I already am God. I am my own God. I can make my own reality. And so we can make chess. I'm sorry. And I want you to take a picture of this, is that this is our world today. This is what we face more and more. And so as a, as a believer, we've got to be able to say, what does the Bible say? First off, we know that Jesus Christ is God. Amen. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He is God. Jesus said in John 10, 30, I and my Father are one. We can trust Him. We can worship Him. We can know what He says is right. Listen, He's not a mystic. He's not a metaphysical force. That God uh, is, uh, is a, uh, a, a person who's distinct from this creation. We know that He is a personal God. He's the creator of the world. He's the savior of mankind. And He's revealed Himself in the Scripture. And we can come back to the Bible and say, listen, this is what God has shown us about Himself. So, the one true God has revealed Himself through His written, written Word. 
He's revealed himself through Jesus Christ, who is the incarnate Son, and he is both transcendent and imminent. He is beyond all that we can understand. He's all-powerful, and he's sovereign over all things. But he's also loving and personal. He cares about us. He cares about His creation to the point of taking on flesh to suffer and to die for our sins so that we could be reconciled to Him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21 says, For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. You see, God desires that for our lives. And so we know that because of who He is, because of His attributes of both imminence and both His, his attribute of transcendence, that God is trustworthy. We can trust Him. And it's important to know who He is because when we know who He is, the more we know God, the easier it is to be, becomes to trust Him and to follow Him. 1 Samuel chapter 17, if you'll turn there with me in the Bible, 1 Samuel 17, you're gonna, many of you Bible scholars out there are going to know and be familiar with this passage of Scripture. And even if you're just vaguely familiar with uh, Judeo-Christian uh, ideas or the Bible, you're going to be familiar with David and Goliath, Right? Uh, we, that's what, uh, that's a, one of the stories that we tell our children. It's one of our favorites. I, I love the story of David and Goliath. Even the secular world loves the, the story of a, a, of a David and Goliath, the underdog especially, uh, that is able to come out on top. And we see here that David comes into this valley, and, and he comes there with his brothers, and, and all the Israelites' army are, is there on one side of the valley. On the other side of the valley is Goliath and all of the armies of the Philistines. And, and Goliath has come, and he has challenged the army of the Israelites to send a warrior down to fight him. And he is a giant, literally over nine and a half feet tall. Uh, and literally, I would be shaking in my boots. I don't, I don't think I would have the, the faith of David. But as David was, uh, walked up on this scene, he saw the giant, he saw what was going on, he saw the fear of the Israelites, and David said, listen, we're not going to do that. He says, I'll go fight him. We're not going to cower in fear because we serve a mighty God. And I want you to see where he got this faith. In verse number 37, we're going to see a prior faithfulness. God has been faithful. And think about all that God has done for us in the past, both in our life and the biblical past as well as throughout our country. We see that God has been faithful to work in a mighty work in our way because he is of his eminence in our life, because of the fact that he chooses to be involved in our life. We see that God says, listen, I've proven faithful in the past and I'll be faithful in the future. 1 Samuel 17, 37 says, And David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. Listen, David trusted God in this moment, in this moment where he had to face Goliath. He said, Listen, Saul, I can trust God because this is what God did for me in the past. In the past, God uh, allowed me to come across a lion, and I was by myself. And listen, this is not a, a war-hardened uh, young man. This is, a, this, this is, let's see, somewhere between Jacob and Asa, probably, in his age. Uh, just a teenager. And as we think about, we think about this young youth, as he, as he faces Goliath, he says, Listen, God took care of me when I fought a lion. God took care of me when I fought the bear. And God's going to take care of me right now. God has proven himself trustworthy. He says in the past God has been trustworthy. And now in the, in the future, right now, God's going to be uh, faithful as well. We see his persistent faith here in verses number 45 through 47. 
Because as David came to the Philistine, we see the Philistine mocked God and the Philistine uh, mocked David. And then David said to the Philistine in verse 45, Now comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come unto thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand. And I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcass of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air, unto the wild beasts of the earth, that the, all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give it into your, our hands. And although David was facing this giant of a man, he was confident because he knew that the battle belongs to God. Listen. We're facing spiritual battles today. We can't put rose-colored glasses on and say everything's hunky-dory. We're facing some spiritual battles against the church uh, and against believers today on on an unprecedented scale. And as we go through these today, I want to remind you that He is able. The God who chooses to be involved in our life is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. And we know that we can trust Him throughout our life, just as David trusted. And so I encourage you, just as David walked with faith and said, listen, the Lord will deliver. Not not the Lord might, but he said, the Lord will deliver you into my hands. And it's like this, the Lord will deliver you. You know, we may be looking at all that's going around us and and we may say, man, what's going to happen? I'm I'm afraid, I don't know. But listen, we can look at that, that spiritual warfare that's against us and we can look at the devil and say, listen, you may be getting a victory right now, but I know the end. And your old sorry carcass is going to be locked up for eternity in hell. And so as we look at this, I just want to encourage us to take courage in the Lord. God is perfect. He's powerful. He's great. He's good. And here's the awesome part. He cares. Psalms 46.1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. We can come to Him tonight. We can come by faith and say, listen... God, because of what I've learned about you from the Word of God, I'm going to trust you, and I know that you will deliver us in this time. I know that you will give us victory in this time, and I'm just going to lean hard upon you, and I'm going to trust in your Word, and I'm going to choose, Lord, in this moment to walk with you, even when all the world turns their back. I remind you that tonight God loves you. We serve a God who is loving, don't we? Listen to 1 John 4, 8, He that loveth Knoweth, uh, he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. We see that God loves us. And I'm thankful that and we can trust Him because He is loving to us, His children. But, but we also see that God is everywhere. So we can trust Him because He's always with us. We see that God is the only God, the Creator God. And we can trust Him because there is no one that is stronger. There's no one that is greater than He. He is our rock. He is our steady Consistent, faithful refuge. There's so much about God that we could continue to study Him for all eternity and never learn the limits of His greatness. Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 4 says this simply, Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. God is a personable, a knowledge, and, and He is knowable, and He wants to be known by us. Matter of fact, he wants you and he wants to have a relationship with you so bad he was willing to take the very first step 
The truth is that's why Jesus Christ came. He came to this earth to make a way for you to be able to enter into His presence, to be reconciled to God because here's the truth. All men are sinners. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, But God commendeth His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Listen, God looks out and He says, Listen, we're all sinners, but all, all of my creation, all, of, all humans have sinned against me. And so I'm going to send my son to die in their place. He doesn't want you to go to hell. He doesn't want you to, to be lost without hope. Not one person on this earth is without uh, the need for salvation. We need Jesus Christ today. People need the Lord. Every day we pass them by. You can see it in their eyes. Empty people filled with dreams, heading who knows where. I can tell you where they're headed if they don't know Jesus. We need Jesus. The Bible says that uh, in James chapter 4 and verse 8, draw nigh to God and He will draw nigh to you. He says, cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Now there, there's only way to get true cleansing is comes through Christ. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, this cleansing is made available through the sacrifice of Christ. It is His gift. He says, this is a gift for you. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to jump through hoops. You just, you, he says, I lay it out there for you. And like any gift, you must receive it unto yourself. And Romans 6, 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so tonight, God offers you the gift of salvation, and you can receive it unto yourself. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 tells us how to, how to do that. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made into salvation. And so God invites you tonight to call upon Him as your Savior, to trust in Him. He alone is worthy. He alone is worthy of our trust. He alone is worthy to, to worship this evening. And so if, if you'd like to be saved, you can do that by putting your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. And this is the belief that, that this verse talks about, belief that Jesus Christ as eternal God, not, didn't, He didn't become God, He's always been God. He came to this earth, He lived perfectly, and He died on the cross to save us from our sins. And then He rose again the third day to bring us victory. And if you believe this, the Bible says you call upon Him and ask for forgiveness of your sins. The Bible says you shall be saved. Romans 10, 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you'd like to be saved, you can be tonight.